were prepared by that hymn to hear the vision recalled by Mark in the ninth chapter of the Gospel according to Mark, beginning with verse 2. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my Son, the Beloved. Listen to Him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. We also hear from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church at Corinth, chapter 4, beginning with verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Mark is the gospel appointed for this Transfiguration Sunday. That 2 Corinthians text is the epistle that's appointed. Epistle is a word that means letter. It's a letter from Paul to one of the churches that I think has somehow buried within it the mystique of this moment on the mountaintop when Jesus became a kind of cosmic glowworm. Y'all remember the glowworms? Little plastic thing, squeeze it, glows green. I used that illustration a long time ago. I told my covenant group I was never going to use it again. But sometimes it's all you got. Because, I mean, where else have you seen something glow from within such that the outside of it became radiant so much so that it all looked like light? I mean, as I was trying to think of some thing that I could put on our projection this week so that, you know, because we can't have a bulletin because of COVID. And I found this painting I'm hopeful that folks who are watching will be able to see that as I zoom in some. If not, they can find it at the website that's mentioned in the bulletin. It's by an artist named Louis Bowman. 
And this is kind of what I was getting at in my mind when I talked about a glow worm. Do you see what's happening there? You see the warmth of it, the light. I think this guy gets it. I think he gets what was going on there, the mystery of it. This is not an explainable event. This is not something that we need to take and hinge over what's happening in it and try to figure out exactly what all the words mean. It's meant to be beautiful in our minds and beautiful in our imagination and draw us to Him like a moth is drawn to a flame. It's meant to show us that though so far everything has been a secret in Mark's Gospel, Jesus intends to be known for who He really is. He's been hiding it up to this point, but He's about to turn and head toward Jerusalem to die on a cross and be raised. And these same three, Simon, Peter, James, and John, they're going to be confused about what it means that He's going to die. And they, I think Jesus knows, need this warmth and this light in this moment to weather them through the storms that are ahead of them. How much more do we need that in our darkness? In the storms that are upon us right now, in times of political and world upheaval, in times when it seems like the horseman's feet are just a-hoofing along through the world, when everyone seems divided against everyone, and we can't even play nice on Facebook, the times, they are strange. There is darkness, and there is hurt in the world. We live in an age when we question bullying at the school level, but we enjoy adults who are bullies. We live in an age when we question violence at one level and celebrate it at another. We live in an age when we question reality and everything that's around us, but we won't stop for a moment and question the ideas that are sold to us as how we should be as people of faith. How we should be quiet and tame. And not critical of anyone. How should we settle into our little cages and be the lapdogs for whatever political party we are associated with? None of which fits the image on the wall, does it? The image on the wall calls us to be a vibrant, life-giving, light-bringing church. The image on the wall calls us to be on fire for God. The image on the wall calls us to be people who radiate the glory of Christ into the world. Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. The tradition is it was the same mountain that Abraham carried Isaac up. The same mountain that Moses met God on. The same mountain that Elijah hid in a cave. And you might remember when Moses was on that mountain, God passed before and allowed Moses to see His glory, to see His backside. And Moses' face was burned by the glory of God. And when He came down, He was glowing red. Like somebody who put cocoa butter on them and laid out in the July sun in South Carolina for 20 hours. And Moses and Elijah meet Jesus on that mountain, the lawgiver, the one who gave us all the rules that we're supposed to live by, and all those things that Paul said came before instead, instruments of our shame because we could not keep them. And Elijah was a prophet who called the people back to God. And here they meet Jesus to prepare Him and speak with Him about His own exodus, about His own prophetic work. When He Himself would be lifted up before all of humankind to all, call all of humankind into a relationship of light and love to display on a cross the light and glory of God. 
to show us that the light and glory of God are not a matter of our successes, a matter of our breakthroughs, a matter of our wealth, a matter of our distinction, but a matter of our being willing to kneel before a cross and accept the Savior who died. And to love even the idea of our own death to this world so that we might be incorporated into Him the one who is the light of the world. I think when Paul describes Jesus as the image of God, the radiance of His glory, he's picking up on the same thing that the book of Hebrews says when it says that Jesus Himself is the radiance of the glory of God, that He is the presence of God in the world. It's the same thing that John meant when he said that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in this small moment, in this inkling of time on the top of that mountain, Jesus was revealed to them as exactly that incarnate Word, the one spoken over all creation, the one that happened when the father said let light be and so john says that all things that came into being came into being through him and for him and he stands on the top of a creation prepared for him to reveal himself on it and in it to draw us all to himself when you read this text from now on from now forward Give your mind a rest from figuring out what it means and just imagine what it looked like. Imagine what it was like to be there. Imagine what it was like to be on the top of that mountain and have the darkness of a cloud settle, to not be able to see anything, and then all of a sudden be glazed, to just be bathed in a glow that was coming from the one that you followed up the mountain. The one who had called himself Son of Man. The one who had said he was going to die. The one who had said all kinds of things about him that were confusing for you and hard to parse out. And now before you, he becomes the source of all light. The source of warmth and the source of comfort in the midst of darkness. And the, spot, the Father speaks from the cloud and gives you instruction. This is my beloved Son. Listen. To him. There are technical things that this story does. It reminds us that Jesus will one day come on the clouds of heaven as the Son of Man who will judge the wicked and the righteous. It reminds us that the one who will judge all of creation stood on a hill of creation that day and revealed himself. It reminds us that He revealed Himself as the true Son of God. As the Word of God incarnate who speaks again the Word of God to bring life into the world. And those things matter. It reminds us that He is the end of the law and the prophets and that a law of grace is coming. We were judged not by our actions but by our faith in Him to save us. We will give account for our, fearless, our careless words. But we, we need not fear a judge who died for us. It is true that technically the story is meant to remind us of all of those things. But I think the story is also meant to function like this painting that's before us. To draw our heart and soul toward Him. To bring us nearer so that in the imagination of our own hearts, we might experience His brightness and love 
and be surrounded by the warmth of His presence. This is what I believe we are to hear today. Hold on to it. And when you face times of darkness and confusion, remember this painting. And imagine in your hearts the comfort that Simon, Peter, and James, and John experienced. For that same comfort is available to you each and every day. He goes before us as a light and life into all things to lead us and to deliver us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.